0: Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read in a few moments here from verse 39 through verse 46. Just in terms of where we are here in Luke's gospel, we're not quite yet at Jesus' death on the cross course, this comes in the next chapter, but um, this passage here is powerfully revealing of what the cross was, uh, what it meant for Jesus to go willingly to that. This is probably a, f- a familiar uh, account here of Jesus in Gethsemane, but I wonder whether you've really ever struggled with this passage uh, like, like we probably should. This prayer of Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. It's, it's a well-known prayer of Jesus, uh, saying of His that's uh, rightly cited as an example to us in our prayers. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. But, but how is it that that statement even exists? That's what I want you to wrestle with in part this morning. Why, why does the eternal Son of God speak of my will over against your will, the, the Father's will? As the second person of the Godhead, now God incarnate in Jesus, His will was for eternity and perfect union with the Father. This is what we understand the Bible to teach. And Jesus Himself said in John 4, My food is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to accomplish His work. This is what Jesus was all about. This is, his life was to do the will of the Father. And yet here there seems to be some clear distinction between His will and the Father's will. Even a a contradiction. There's my will and then there's your will. And Jesus is in agony over what that will is. So think about that as we read and listen to what it reveals this morning. Uh, Again, just a little more about the setting here. The the plot to arrest Jesus has finally been hatched. Uh, He's just shared the Passover with the disciples after which they argued about which of them was the greatest, uh, and then they shortly will abandon him. Um, but now uh, they proceed out from that, from, to, from the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, to the Mount of Olives. And the other Matthew and Mark's Gospels tell us the place here is, is Gethsemane, uh, where Jesus will be arrested. So let's read. Uh, listen as I read God's holy word. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. The disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony... He was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. We're going to look this morning at the request of Jesus and then the will of Jesus. Of Jesus, And I want you to consider first just the, the level of distress that's described here that gives rise to Jesus' prayer. It says that He was, in verse 44, uh, in agony. And that our, our English word agony comes from the Greek word agonia. And of course, points to intense distress and anxiety. The, the root word in the Greek there can mean a, an athletic contest or a struggle, or a wrestling match or something like that. And so some... Suggests or interpret this as an in- image of, of the inner inner struggle, the war going on within Jesus' person. Uh, verse forty four goes on to say that his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground, and and scholars have debated whether uh, Luke is telling us that that Jesus was actually bleeding; he was in such distress. Uh, that's possibly what's being communicated. Not impossible. Uh, probably it's it's just a comparison that's being made, uh, like it sounds. It was like great drops of blood, but that's not to diminish what it's telling us—the distress that that Jesus was in. We we've all experienced uh, nervousness or anxiety, making you sweat a bit. But but what's being described here is is more like. Uh, I li- I lived in in uh, Florida for a while, uh, more like. You know, working hard outside in July uh, in the middle of the day uh, in Florida and, and the sweat is just pouring off of you. And so, as, as Luke tells us, it's it's nighttime. It, it would have been cool, probably quite cool, and yet sweat's pouring off Jesus like, like blood pouring out of a wound, such as his anxiety. Uh, his, his agony is so great uh, that he asks the Father to take away what's coming, to, to change his will. But what does this tell about about Jesus, the agony that he's in. A couple of things. You see them on your outline there. First, this isn't the main thing, but it's it's a significant and important thing. It, it powerfully reveals Jesus' true humanity. It powerfully reveals His true humanity. Jesus was genuinely in agony as a man. He was experiencing the anticipation of what was ahead of Him uh, like anyone would, like any human would. I think maybe we struggle to under, really understand this scene. If, if we really understand the agony that Jesus is in and that this is Jesus, this is the Son of God, we struggle to really understand that because we don't really perhaps comprehend, maybe don't fully believe Jesus' humanity what it meant that he, he really was fully human. We confess that in our, our confessions and and our, our summaries of what the Bible teaches, God was fully, Jesus was fully man and fully God, and and in our circles, I think we do a good job of defending Jesus' full divinity. We we particularly defend his. Right? He's Superman. Maybe it hurts a bit, but he's Superman. We often maybe easily think about Jesus similarly. Yes, he, he suffered, went through difficult things, but he's, but he's God. I didn't experience in the same way we do. But that's not how Jesus experiences life. Right? Life was not easy for Jesus because he was God. He experienced it as a man. Uh, we can also see in this passage, Jesus did not have a, a death wish. He didn't just easily launch himself into what was ahead of him. Uh, he recoiled at death like, like any human. His, his human body did not want to face what he was facing any more than, than yours or mine. Torture and death. Uh, what, one of the implications of Jesus being fully God and fully man and and Maybe this isn't something you've thought about or wrestled with before, but, but it, it comes out in this, this passage here is that Jesus had two wills. Right? He, had, he certainly has a, a will as the Son of God, as, as divine. But also, to be fully human, He had a, a human will as well. And that's, that's reflected in this, this struggle here. His human will did not easily or automatically choose a torturous death any more than, than yours or mine would. So, what an example of Jesus identifying with us in suffering in this passage. It doesn't gloss over physical suffering as if it's unreal or unimportant as, as some religions do. It's real, it's excruciating. Uh, and this this passage points powerfully to Jesus' humanity in, in other ways. Just think about the fact that he depends on prayer at all. Have you ever wrestled with with that? Why does Jesus pray? He doesn't just pray occasionally. There are are four times in the Gospels where it refers to Jesus going off and praying all night. For the entire night, there's another reference in the Gospels that says Jesus would go off to desolate places to pray. This This was His pattern. When's the last time we sensed the need to pray all night? As a man, again, it reflects Jesus' humanity. As a man, Jesus did not Uh, know everything. He had to learn to walk, to eat, to speak. He continued to learn. His humanity still, today, is not omniscient. He became a man. Uh, He had to exercise faith in that. He was led by the Spirit. Uh, He had every human weakness. I, I don't believe he exercised divine power outside of the Holy Spirit's enabling him to do miracles like, like Elijah did or, or others. There, we read in the Gospels of a time when Jesus, the Holy Spirit did not allow Jesus to do a miracle. Uh, he, he followed and depended on the Spirit. And, and likewise, He prayed for strength. He had to pray for strength. He had to rely on His Father and commune with His Father. Consider God's answer, the, the Father's answer to Him in verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to Him, strengthening Him. And beyond thinking, well, that's that's nice. An angel showed up to help. We our response should be, well, what is going on here? This is the this is the Son of God, and one of his one of his own creatures is strengthening him. Uh, again, such as the humility and the, the the weakness that Jesus took on, being one of us. But what what this passage shows of of Jesus' humanity uh, still doesn't adequately. And fully answer the question of why there's this this degree of agony in this scene in Jesus. Uh, why this apparent contrast of wills between his and the father's will. Someone might point out that that other people in history have died uh, bravely, maybe not without any fear, but but without the outward agony that Jesus shows in this passage. Um, ordinary sinful people in history have, have given their lives, have died for the sake of other people uh, or, or for a righteous cause. And so while the fact of a, a torturous death that Jesus is facing is a factor, it's perhaps not, not the main one or the thing that Jesus is, is maybe particularly focused on. So secondly, on your outline, it also reveals that the agony of Jesus here reveals the wrath of God feels the wrath of God. Verse 42. Consider Jesus' prayer here. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Why does He say cup? What is, what is the cup? Well, it's a, a consistent image throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. In, in Psalm 75, we read, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and He pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to its dregs. That the cup of the Lord is God's judgment against sin. In Haggai 2, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. God says to His enemies, drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. So the, the cup that Jesus speaks of, the Bible speaks of, is, is judgment and shame against God's enemies. And it points us to the fact that Jesus was, was bearing the guilt and the sin of all of His people throughout all of history. Uh, one sin we know deserves damnation and death. And, and God the Father was to look on Him and treat Him, treat Jesus, as if He were guilty of all of the sins of all of His people in all time. Uh, he wasn't perhaps particularly in agony over over death alone, over dying, but over being forsaken by the Father. The Son who enjoyed perfect union and communion and love with the Father through all of eternity was to experience the Father forsaking Him. Experience damnation for sin. Uh, John Calvin describes in this scene that, that Jesus is facing the inconceivable vengeance of God for our sins. And, and before we leave that point, just recognize what's what's revealed in that of how terrible God's wrath is. How real His anger against sin and evil is. That even Jesus recoils at it in terror. He, he says, let's look for a different way. Uh, he sweats profusely in, in fervent prayer. And, and certainly Jesus understands the wrath of God far better than we do. And so maybe in part also we fail to understand Jesus' agony here because we fail to comprehend, perhaps even to believe that the, the wrath and anger against uh, of God against sin and sinners and easy, evil. But but we must. It, that, that's that's the reason for the gospel. It's the reason the gospel is such good news. You know, there there are many who profess the name of Christ in some way today who. Uh, deny that that the wrath, any kind of wrath of God, exists. Uh, when I was living in, in Florida several years ago, uh, there was a, a local, a large local church that rented a, a large billboard along Interstate 4 uh, that runs through Orlando, and uh, put up on this giant billboard, it, it had the church name at the bottom. And all the billboard said then was, "God is not angry." God is not angry. Um, what good news that would be if it were possibly true for everyone, right? If we were not sinners, if God was not that holy. Um, but if it were true, how would we make sense of this scene and Jesus' agony, and of course much, much else in the Scriptures? The, the, the billboard might as well read, "Jesus was a fool. He was wasting his time and his prayers and his life, or maybe he's just a wimp." in the face of this cup, whatever it was. And yet we know from countless Scriptures that that's not the case. That's the agony of Jesus in this scene. Consider, secondly, the will of Jesus in submission. The will of Jesus. Uh, we, we simply can't imagine what, what this was like, what Jesus was facing. We can only see something in the experience that's described here of Jesus who is perfectly loving and willing faithful and knew the ultimate outcome, Uh, we can only see something in that experience of the agony that he was facing. Such agony that he asked, again, if at all possible, if there's any way within your will for your glory, Father, uh, take it away. Let's do this a different way. this, This isn't rebellion on Jesus' part. It's not an argument that he's having. Uh, from the beginning beginning to end in this prayer here, it's it's conditional on the Father's will. Uh, it, it does reflect, I think, a competing desire, though, that He had, that He felt, that He experienced in His humanity. Uh, even though Jesus' will ultimately was to do whatever God's will was. Whatever the will of the Father was. But I, I think maybe we can understand how this, this struggling works. If uh, You'll permit a, a lighter illustration um, you're on a strict important diet for your health and you can't have ice cream but you see the ice cream bar and it looks so good right and you you really in a true sense you really want some ice cream and there's some struggle in you over that um, but ultimately you you will you choose to abstain right for your health now don't don't push that Analogy too far, it doesn't explain everything about the wills of Jesus and this 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 struggle here. But there there is this this struggle in his experience of this as a human, what he's feeling and, and desiring and anticipating. And yet, for your sake, Jesus perfectly throughout his life willed only what was good and righteous, despite fully experiencing those human longings and agonies and, and temptations. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly. He perfectly obeyed. ever, ever since the Garden of Eden, when, when Adam and Eve were faced with with a choice, even even before they were fallen in sin, they, they experienced this something of this struggle of, of desire and and the need to choose to will in accord with, with God. They chose against God's will, and, and all of humanity has been doing so since. But Jesus, the second Adam, chose perfectly from obeying His parents to the temptation in the wilderness uh, to even facing the wrath of God for sin on the cross. This, this points us to what theologians, uh, through history have helpfully, uh, distinction that they, they've made between the active and the passive obedience of Jesus active obedience and the passive obedience. Maybe the passive obedience is probably a little bit uh, better understood. The, the, um, the obedience of Jesus on the cross in receiving uh, the punishment uh, for sin. He took our sin on him and he willingly accepted uh, death uh, for that sin. Uh, but his active obedience is equally important and that he, he positively obeyed the Father in every way and every thought all throughout his life. And so his, not only are our sins put on him, his passive obedience, but his righteousness, his obedience is given to us. Uh, and we see that here. Well, just consider a couple of points of, of application of this, this scene then, thirdly. The first is simply that you would know the love of God for you. I'll spend a little bit more time on the, the second point. let let her be thinking about other disciples and and us, but but this passage first is not about us, it's about Jesus. and and it's that you would know Jesus and his love for you, that you would love him more. Listen to uh, Don McLeod's comment on this scene here. The, the wonder of the love of Christ for his people is not that for their sake he faced death without fear. But that for their sake, he faced it terrified. Terrified by what he knew and terrified by what he did not know. He took damnation lovingly. Again, sadly, those who don't believe in the wrath of God or or the ugliness of, of sin and the need for justice cannot possibly see the depth of God's love for us in Christ. Right? If if you don't understand how hideous sin is and what it what it deserves and how far Christ stooped, and you will not see the sort of love that overcame that for you. Right, the love of God becomes a sort of friendly help, rather than what it was in the death of Christ. And it's it's by repentant faith in Jesus that God's wrath is removed from you, and and you become a loved child of His. Well, I want finally then to look at at. The disciples' part in this account, and what Jesus was trying to communicate and demonstrate to them, and and what we can learn from that. Uh, Let her be on on your outline there. We, we've seen Jesus' agony over what he's facing, and yet in this scene, he also uh, evidences great concern for his disciples and what they were going to face that night and and beyond. Uh, he's already uh, earlier in this chapter he's warned them. Uh, Satan is coming for you. Uh, There's a great trial coming. Um, You need to be ready for us. They they face danger that very evening when he's going to be arrested. They face a decision when he dies whether to remain faithful or to despair and and think that all is lost. And their need, the disciples' need, the answer for this hardship, these hardships that are coming for them is the same as for Jesus. It's prayer. And in verse 40, he tells them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. That is, pray, pray for faithfulness and strength in what's coming. And of course, he comes back and he finds them sleeping. And and Luke's uh, Luke's account is rather shortened over Matthew and Mark's, and, and they tell us of multiple times. Jesus kept coming back over and over, and the disciples kept falling asleep. And and Surely we can all relate to the, the difficulty to, to pray uh, when you're sleepy. And, and, um, and, and this reflects human weakness as well. And yet Jesus was warning them. We read of His coming back here in Luke's account in verse 46. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You're not, in other words, you're not going to be ready for the trials that are coming if, if you don't pray to God. You don't ask for strength. If you go to the doctor and the doctor warns you of hard things in your future, you, you will follow the doctor's prescription for therapy if you believe the doctor. Right? Do you believe that God gives strength and faithfulness through the means of prayer? This this story is also an example of the fact that God answers those prayers. In verse forty-three, again, God answered uh, the Father answered Jesus' prayer in a in a concrete way, sending this angel. And yet it also demonstrates that, that God often does not answer our prayers by taking away that trial. In one sense, the Father's answer to Jesus' request here was no. A very clear no. There is no other way. I'm not taking this cup away. Um, and yet his, his prayer was answered and He's being strengthened for that trial. And that's very often... God's answer to us, and, and and where our prayers should be directed, maybe as much if not more than, Lord, take this away, but Lord, give me strength, give me faithfulness through this. Uh, in in Second Peter, uh, Peter will later, long after this scene that he was part of, uh, write that his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Uh, God will give you through prayer all that you need for obedience and faith and patience and contentment. Where do you need more faithfulness or obedience? Uh, Where are you losing to temptation or struggling with contentment or love or pride? Uh, Get up and pray in in Jesus' words. Uh, The the disciples, of course, went on that night uh, and the next day to fail miserably. Peter and Other disciples abandoning Jesus, and then He finds them in despair a few days later. The implication is the same for you. You you will fail in trials to be faithful, to be hopeful, to be self-controlled, patient, and so on, without prayer. In prayer, we acknowledge our dependence on God, on, on His strength, on His protection. On His truth. We, we express our desire to rest in Him, to find refuge in Him. Without prayer, we much more easily uh, are focused on our own strength, our own weaknesses. Uh, we're not mindful of our weaknesses. Or we're, we're not dependent on God's sovereignty. We're prone to pride or discontentment. And, and you and I need to pray not only for now, for trials and hard things that we're experiencing now, but. Um, but for things that we don't know in the future, right? the disciples didn't understand fully what Jesus was warning them of and they didn't pray as he as he commanded them. Faithfulness in the future takes diligence in prayer now. Uh, perhaps you've not suffered badly physically or, or the death of a close loved one well. Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation when, when the Lord brings those things into your life. Our, our prayers should reflect Jesus' prayers. Your will be done. Uh, facing temptation and hardship with, with faithfulness is, is basically submission to the sovereign and good will of God. Uh, whatever He allows in our lives. And and even as I say that, I, I tremble that I am not prepared for the, the kinds of and levels of suffering that that I have not known in my life, um, by God's grace. I, I wonder. Uh, I I need to pray more. I need to submit more to God's will. To learn, um, learn to love His will more. Uh, this is this is really what we learn in in part of the Lord's Prayer, the the third petition, in the Lord's Prayer. Just just listen to what the the larger Catechism uh, says about the the third petition, in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is uh, question 192. Uh, It says, In the third petition, acknowledging that by nature we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and to do the will of God, but prone to rebel against His word, to repine and murmur against His providence, and wholly inclined to the will of the flesh and the devil. In light of all that, we pray that God would by His Spirit take away from ourselves and others all blindness, weakness, indisposedness, perverseness of heart, and by His grace make us able and willing to know and do and submit to His will in all things with humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. That's what we need to be praying for. I'll just close by noting that, that Luke happily records later uh, an instance of the disciples learning this lesson. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel and they were warned and threatened by the authorities um, and, uh, if, if they did not um, stop preaching. And what did they do? As soon as they were released, they gathered more of their friends and immediately prayed for strength. Immediately in that case did what what the Lord Jesus had called them to do years before um, for strength in in what lay ahead. And Acts 4.29, for example, part of their prayers. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. May God, in the same way, grant us um, sanctification and boldness through prayer that he would strengthen us. Let's, Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, uh, we thank You for uh, Your Word here and what it reveals of the Lord Jesus and and what He faced um, and how He experienced that and how that reveals to us um, what it meant for Him to become a man, become one of us and live this life and understand it as we do, uh, what it reveals of His love uh, that kept Him on that road to Jerusalem, that kept Him on the cross. And we pray that These things would be reflected uh, in our lives, that You'd give us um, reflection on these things throughout this day and the coming days. And we pray all this uh, in Christ's name and for His glory. Amen.